Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Now, as we get towards the tail end of this season, there are a few more conversations that I really want you guys to hear, and I'm super excited for these last few episodes. Now, this is all leading up to our final episode of this season, which is going to be in about four weeks, where we do a Q&A episode, and there's still time to get your questions in. So this season, as Grant and I talked early on about the 10-step execution process, as we talked with different contributors from the Firetime Magazine, and in these upcoming conversations, if there's a question that you have and you want to get it in, make sure to send me an email. My email address is tim at itsfiretime.com, and I will do everything I can to answer those questions in the final episode of this season. Now, in today's conversation, this is somebody that I am really excited for you to meet. It is Robert Bartucci, the CEO of Dimplex. Now, we get into this in the interview, but for me, you know, for a number of years, Dimplex was a just kind of a peripheral company. They make electric fireplaces. They kind of do that on the side and and that's that. But as I've gotten to spend some time around this company, I am telling you that they are a serious, serious player in the game doing some incredible things. And from the first time that I met Robert, I just felt like this is somebody that I can learn from. I want to, I want to spend time with. He's, he's very methodical and very intentional doing things at a high level, but he's also accessible. And I think, I think you're going to hear that in this conversation. What we do is we go over a framework that he has for approaching problems and it, it's it's powerful. Um, I first saw it in an email that he sent me, and it was in his email signature. And I thought, man, that's that's really powerful. He had a slide deck that that he he, he passed on to me that that had it as well about just the nature of how they look at things. And it's a framework of simplify, focus, and execute. So. In this conversation, we cover a lot of things leadership related. We talk about problem solving, and I think that you are going to get a ton of value out of it. So I hope you enjoy this conversation, and I have a few parting thoughts to share on the back end of it. Joining me from Toronto, Canada is the CEO of Glenn Dimplex Americas and their CEO of Global Flame. I'm joined today by Robert Bartucci. Robert, how are you doing? Doing great, Tim. Thanks for uh, making time to talk to me. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. We, we've known each other now for, uh, man, I feel like going on maybe two years or so. And it was a, it was a great connection. We were a, a Dimplex dealer and you happened to be in town in Vancouver. We met up for lunch and... I was just I was really impressed by our conversation and and just kind of humbled that you take the time and it's been it's been a cool relationship and I'm I'm excited for the rest of of uh really kind of the industry at large to hear from you because you run this monster company but but Dimplex kind of is in the peripherals a lot just because you're so focused on electric. Yeah, I agree. Um it's it's been a great journey here for over four and a half years. When we met, it's got to be more than 2 years now. Uh Tim, it feels like COVID has been at least that long, <laughs> uh, but I do remember coming away from that that lunch really energized and refreshed because uh, while I was fairly new to the industry, the industry felt like a few other industries I had been in previously, and a lot of people were still trying to figure out how to get an old model to work in the new economy. Yeah, And I enjoyed lunch because a lot of what we talked about was how do we readapt the model? Yeah. And find ways to push ahead of the curve a little bit, as opposed to always trying to catch up, which was which was interesting and something that we've we've been um, driving towards at at Glen Dimplex ever since. And so I always I always enjoy the interactions with you to to try and debate new ideas. We don't always agree, but we always come away from it uh, with a new perspective. I find. Yeah, totally. I, w- I want to hit that idea a little bit later in the conversation. I think that that's really important. But maybe before we jump in, I I'd love you just to just to give us kind of a 
a snapshot of, of what Dimplex is. So so I had sold Dimplex for years. I mean, I guess I guess what I should say is for years I messed around with Dimplex, just the same way that a lot of retailers mess around with electric fireplaces. And by mess around, I mean try to convince the customers that come in wanting to buy them that they actually don't want them. But then we started to get serious when we realized that these things are actually awesome and customers love buying them. So we made a, a commitment to electric fireplaces. And, and even with us selling Dimplex, I still didn't realize the scope of the company. And so, you know, I'd, I'd love for you just to kind of explain a little bit about that because it's, it's pretty incredible. Sure. Um, look, in fairness, before I joined the company, uh, I hadn't heard of it either. And so uh, fires and electric fires suffer from not really being household brands. Um, and the business itself is a privately owned business based in Dublin, Ireland, uh, about 45 years old. And the family who founded the business continues to own the business and is interested in continuing to own the business for multiple generations. We're in a number of different business lines, puts about over a billion euros uh, from a revenue perspective into the business, playing in seven or eight major global markets. And so really is a big player. North America is a huge market for us, but we have leading positions in the UK and Ireland, uh, Western Europe, Australia, New Zealand, uh, with a supply chain that is in each of those markets and extends into Asia and Eastern Europe in some other ways. The, the thing that I loved about the business is the family is very serious. And, you know, as a professional manager in the business, by extension, we are very serious about leading the transition to a sustainable world. Yeah. And what that means is trying to be 1% better every day in the environments that we're living in. And for us, where we have a uh, wood-burning fuel uh, fire business in New Zealand, we want to make sure that we have the cleanest, most efficient wood-burning stoves in the world. Um, same thing on gas. How can we get, you know, using the heat that gas fires generate in the products that we manufacture in Australia and in Europe to either heat the home or be more efficient? You maybe use less fuel to get a better effect. And can we use lights and logs and other things in order to create that connection in the home? In North America, um, you're right. We are 95% the electric fire guys. Yeah. And we have an enormous amount of investment in R&D and innovation. Uh, we are fortunate enough to own some IP that allows us to have pretty cool fires um, and things that we're really excited about. What I love about being in the fire business specifically is the caveman had fire. And there's not a lot of products in the world that we can say found their origins with the caveman. Yeah. And so it's almost built into our DNA that we get drawn to fire. Yeah, And so I love being in this space because we can connect with people passionately. The one challenge we have, to your point around electric fires, is almost nobody walks into a specialty hearth shop asking for an electric fire. In fact, as we talk to some of our major um, retailers, most of the time an electric fire is where people end up when they realize that they weren't able to put a gas fire in. Yeah, And that's starting to change a little bit. And what we're really excited about is we're seeing the incident rate of electric fires increasing in people's homes because you can put your gas fire in your family room. It's the traditional place that it goes, but you can put an electric fire almost anywhere. Yeah. And so we're seeing the number of fires in people's homes uh, go up and it's been, it's been super exciting. It's a really growing space for us uh, in part because of awareness, in part because of legislation. Um, we're not opposed to the other fuel types. But we do think that there are ways that we can continue to be most efficient as the world continues to transition to to be a more friendly place. Yeah. You know, um, I'm, I'm just thinking about this. When we when we first talked and you were kind of explaining the scope of the company to me, being involved in, in you know, different industries and, and, and different global markets, one thing you said that was really cool is, is you were saying that the family is looking for a return on investment a hundred years from now. And there's, there's some companies that they want to return on investment next quarter. And when that happens, you, you make really knee jerky decisions. They're always changing. And it seems like there's a sense of stability with what Dimplex is after with the family saying, we want to return on our investment, but like we're looking to make a sustainable world. And I remember specifically you said that they want this company to be around for their great grandchildren. Yeah. And I thought that was just an awesome perspective. It was, it was really inspiring. And for me, something different than what I was accustomed to. I grew up in entrepreneurial, privately owned businesses my whole life. Um, and seeing those entrepreneurs hustle, um, they were making decisions that sometimes felt like they were decisions to survive the day. Yeah. 
Then I moved into a business that was uh, publicly traded. So we had, it had a stock ticker. And the only thing we worried about was making the quarter. Yeah. And short-term decisions around that. And I spent some time in private equity. And private equity was really only worried about the horizon line in which they were going to make their exit. Now being in a family-run business, you know, after being in those three other types of ownership structure, you can see that the decision-making here is quite different. I don't think any of them are necessarily good or bad, but they are different. And it allows me as the CEO in this organization to take a really long-term view to what we're doing. And it means that we can take care of people, invest in products and business processes for a return in the long run, which in our opinion, makes a more sustainable business. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, so for the heart of this conversation, I wanted to move into something that, I don't know if it's still there. It was in your email signature for a while and you sent me a slide deck on it. Like, yeah, maybe this was two, three years ago. It was a while ago. And it was a it was a three-step kind of mantra that you had that was simplify, focus, execute. Right. And I saw that and I was like, that makes so much sense. And the slide deck that you sent me was kind of looking at this complex issue and and like part one was simplify, part two was focus, part three was execute. I thought that was the coolest thing. And I want to see if we could just talk about that concept. Like what is, why did you decide on those words? And, and what, is that, what does that concept look like for you? Yeah. So it's something I, I adopted. I think, Tim, what I've learned in my career is I don't always have to have great ideas, but I do need to be on the lookout for them. Yeah. And this is one of the ideas that felt really important to me at the time. I was in my first role as a, as a president, was in a new business, felt really complicated and overwhelming. And actually, the entrepreneur who owned the business came in and scribbled those words on my whiteboard. Mm. In hindsight, I think it was fairly unintentional because he then disappeared for a couple of months and said, here you go, run the business. <laughs> But over time, those words stayed on my whiteboard. They're in my email signature. I use them to kick off town halls and all employee meetings because they've become so profound for me, both in business and in life. And the first, as simplify, is frankly not easy to do. And so that's the first call out I usually make is simple doesn't mean easy. What simplify means is that we have a significant number of things that are in front of us every day. And if we link them all, it feels really overwhelming. And so sometimes when we think of, you know, there's a saying that says, you know, how do you eat an elephant? Well, you eat it one, one bite at a time. Yep. If you try to eat the entire elephant in one foul gulp, you're likely to choke to death. Yeah. And for me in business, it's really similar. Problems can see complex and big, and there's a lot of interdependencies. And if I try and solve them all in one foul swoop, I'm going to, I'm going to choke. And so simplifying is actually very, very difficult. And it becomes about trying to find the thing that will be most impactful. Hmm. In fact, there are times where in the morning, I will wake up and write a list of things I'm not going to worry about today. <laughs> it's an acknowledgement for me that these things are important, but I'm just not going to get to them today and give myself permission to try and make things simple. That's really good. As, as you were saying that, uh, the the elephant phrase, me and a guy that I work with, Matt Bradley, we say that all the time. And it and it reminds me of this is just a funny story. So when I was when I was about eighteen or nineteen years old, in one of the the few times I dropped out of college, I went to a math class. It was math one hundred and one at the community college. And at this point, I was like trying to start taking things a little bit more seriously. And I, uh, I showed up and I, I really wanted to try. And what I realized in this math class was that I was actually terrified of math. I would look at this problem. I mean, this is like a math 101 class. This is not super complex math. Right. But I would look at, at a problem that seemed to be very complex. And I realized that I was, I was literally scared. I was shaking in my boots that I didn't have what it took to solve the problem. And so I would just not do it. And I realized in that moment that all through my time in middle school and high school, that'd been my approach is that if I started to think maybe I can't do it, I just wouldn't do it. So like in high school, I'd just skip class and I would, you know, act like it didn't matter out of fear. And what was so crazy in that math class, I had this really good math teacher and both her and my dad helped me see that a math problem that seems super big and complex is just a series of simple steps 
that don't worry about the big thing, just solve this step and this step and this step. And it's so weird, but I'll tell you, like, I felt so empowered by conquering math and by being able to say, like, I can actually solve a very complex problem by simplifying it down to those basic chunks. That really resonated with me. Yeah. And I think it's interesting when we break these complex problems, whether they're in our personal life or business life into smaller problems, all of those small problems feel fairly simple, right? So the first step to get to work in the morning is to get out of bed. Well, that didn't seem so hard. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then I'll get dressed and I'll make a coffee. Great. I know how to do that. Um, And if you just add all of these things up, you end up finding that, well, the problem itself was complex in totality, but I can make a small difference in each of the things that we try and do. And as we try and solve business problems at Glendimplex, we often spend time with the team in meetings or with customers trying to break the problem down to what was the first thing that we needed? What was the first hurdle we had to, to cross? Yeah. I, I love that you said too, what's the most impactful? Because you you there's complex problems out there where there's a lot of things you could do. And in reality, there's there's probably a a few things that that have to be done that are absolutely the most impactful. And it's almost like you making that list in the morning of what I'm going to choose not to do when you when you look at complex problems and just say, I'm just going to I'm going to let these fires burn for now because not every piece of this problem has equal weight. So if I can throw what what I have into the highest impact area, the other stuff might even start to take care of itself. Right. And I think that that brings me to focus. So once I've got the list of the things I'm not going to worry about, I'm, I'm left with a, a short list of things I am going to worry about. And there's probably two, three, four, five things on that list, hopefully not more. But even then, human beings are not good at multitasking. Trying to do mm-hmm. five things simultaneously doesn't really work. And so even in that list of five, I have to prioritize. And that's where the focus comes. Which one of these five things am I going to do first? And each day, we have to make a choice on how we rank those. Sometimes I just want to eat the frog. I know that there's this thing that's going to hang over me all day and cause me stress. I'm going to bang that out before nine o'clock. Get that sense of accomplishment. Or there will be days where, you know, if these are, uh, if these are customer items, so which one of these things is going to be most impactful to our business in the long run? Could be profitability, could be customer loyalty, could be happiness. And so we have to really focus on making choices. And I will tell you, learning how to make choices is a, is a learned skill. Yeah. It's not something that innately someone is better or worse than at genetically. But we have to learn it and we have to train for it. We have to get people to be comfortable with the outcomes of not putting something number one. Hmm. And that, that is really something in which we need to create a safe and secure environment for ourselves, whether that's in our families or in our business or in our management teams, we can't do everything. So choosing the thing that will have the greatest level of return or expected level of return is really, really important. But that's the point where, you know, you said earlier about freezing in your math class. I find that on the focus piece, this is where people freeze because they're, they're feeling pulled in so many directions. And the reality is, just take the first step. Yeah. Pick one, go for it. The other ones are still going to be there. They're on your focus list. You'll get to them in the period of time that you wanted. But you really have to focus and make those choices. Yeah, that's so good. I, I'm immediately thinking there's a there's a couple businesses that I work with now and I do some coaching for their for their sales teams. One of the things that we always discuss, like if you're I mean, in this case, like a retail associate on the floor in the busy season, there's product delays, there's shortages, there's angry customers, there's all these things that are pulling at you it's really hard to focus. And so one of the biggest things that that I had communicated is that a lot of these team members have these lists of 25 things that need to get done. And just like you said, I'm like, that means that nothing's going to get done. When you've got a list of 25 things, what you need to do every day is when you first get to the office, you got to take your first 15 minutes of the day with that list of 25 and you got to make a new list that's got three things and that list of 25 goes away and you've got your big three for the day. It's always in front of you and you're always working on it. And, and by focusing your list of 25 to a big three, you'll get way more done than having the list of 25. But I find focus for me is, is definitely one of the hardest things because you, you start sometimes to believe a lie that like, I'm lazy for not doing these other things or uh, what's going to happen if somebody calls me and I'm not working on this task that 
I said I would get done. And a lot of that comes into how you set yourself up and manage expectations. Right. But regardless, I, I do feel like focus is it is the most difficult thing. And a, and a lot of people, I mean, at, at, at all levels of, of careers don't learn it, but people that can be focused on the most effective things are, are going to be the ones who succeed. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think the, the other piece of that is understanding the level of materiality of the thing that you're working on. And so sometimes I find people get paralyzed to make sure that they've got something perfect mm-hmm. as opposed to just getting it done and realizing that tomorrow I will be smarter than I am today and tomorrow I will have the opportunity to be 1% better. I think the example I use with most people is, you know, let's, let's say, Tim, you and I agree that we want to get together for dinner in the new year. That's pretty good. We've agreed we're going to get together next year for dinner. So we have a time, it's bound by January and December, and we know the event, we will be consuming food together. For now, uh, you know, at the end of 2021, that's good enough. Now, that won't be good enough on the day that you and I have agreed dinner. Otherwise, I'll be in New York and you'll be in LA. (laughs) And so the level of materiality that we're after, I think is really important. And sometimes people get so obsessed about making sure that they have the smallest detail agreed long before that's necessary, they struggle with where to, where to put their focus. Mm-hmm. So the focus is on the task, but the focus for me is also on the amount of detail or level of materiality within that task that's going to be really important. Otherwise, you're going to get stuck in that single task. It's the opposite of trying to do too many things. Yeah, It's the example of doing one thing to the point where you know your return on the investment of your time is no longer there. That's terrific. I've, I've never thought about it quite that way, but I've experienced it so much. Like the way that my mind works is I love details when I believe they're necessary. And when I don't believe they're necessary, I really struggle with them. And and that's the hard thing with that is that am I the best arbiter of when details are necessary or not? I'm, I'm really not the best arbiter of that, but that's just the way that my, that my brain works. So I don't struggle with uh, getting lost in the paralysis of details, I, I tend to struggle more with um, making things a, a priority that truly are, but that I just don't believe they are. But what you're saying that's really interesting is that in the same way that like when we, if we rewind back to simplify, we've got this problem with all these different different pieces to it, and not all the pieces of the problem are created equal. So we need to simplify down to like, what are the highest impact things? But now when it comes to focusing and, and, and details, it's so interesting that all details are not weighted equally either. Like the example that you gave of us going to dinner, um, what city we're going to be in, it, it, it doesn't matter right away when we're planning a long ways out. It's going to matter as we get closer. The restaurant is going to matter as we get closer. The time of day is going to matter. So, but we don't have to, like, if we don't have to get lost in all those details, you know, six months out on, you know, you want to eat Italian and I want to go to a steakhouse. Like that can work itself out as we get closer. And I think a lot of companies weight all details equally or they don't think about them at all. And I, I, I love what you said that there's like a, a materiality, like as, 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 as time moves closer, we want to take care of the necessary details. And then we probably want to be moving on to other tasks because of that return on, on our time investment. Right. And it frees us up to be able to do that. And, and again, it comes back to giving ourselves permission to say, I, I'm aware I don't know some of these things and that's okay for now. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I want to see what you think of this. I'm going to told the story on the podcast before I think I have, but I, I have a friend who is in his 60s and for years he managed a, a real large portfolio of investor dollars. And so he would interview CEOs of smaller publicly traded companies to kind of determine if they wanted to invest some of their portfolio into these companies. And so he worked with a lot of different CEOs and we were having coffee once and and he was talking to me and he said that he said that the most important thing about a CEO is their focus. He said that a CEO in general shouldn't be the smartest person in the room, but they should have laser like focus on the goal at hand and be constantly shepherding the rest of the company towards it. And that was his take. Like when he would talk to a CEO, he felt like it didn't matter how smart they were or not. He'd say if they had focus where they knew what, what the goal of the company was and from his experience talking to them, in, everything that they did was in pushing towards that goal, then that was a company that, that they would consider. It's, uh, it's interesting you say that. I can tell you for sure that I'm not the smartest guy in the room. Uh, if I am, I probably need to get into that room of fourth graders. Um, <laughs> but but as a, as a leader... 
my job is to be able to clearly articulate where we're going. I would agree with your friend that the CEOs are not are usually not the smartest person. They're usually not the person who is rolling up their sleeve and doing all of the individual tasks, but they are somebody who's willing to do that. Sure. They are somebody who has rolled up their sleeves and helped. And the reason for that is the only role of a CEO, in my opinion, is to add speed and to remove barriers and to make sure that it's done to the right things. So, you know, the superpower of being a CEO is the perceived influence that goes with the title, not the person who was in the chair. So I could easily switch roles with someone else in the organization and they could become the CEO and they would have the same singular focus of adding speed and removing barriers. It's not linked to the individual. It's linked to the role that we're playing in the theater. Hmm. And so if the CEO can clearly articulate with ruthless consistency where we are going, then I think that is what makes the CEO successful. Now, there's been plenty of organizations that have succeeded without having uh, a great CEO. There's probably a bunch that have failed with having a great CEO, but we're really talking about creating the best opportunity for success. It certainly doesn't guarantee success. Yeah, man, that's excellent. I love that ruthless consistency. That's what that's what I want my life to be. We'll get back to our conversation with Robert Bartucci in just one second. Hey, if you have been listening to the podcast this season and thinking like, man, this is amazing, right? I'm learning about how to execute in my business the way that I need to. And you want more of this content, you have to check out the Firetime magazine. So this is a free digital publication that we put out every single month. And I'm telling you that each issue is literally like six of these podcasts. The the, the interviews and the articles that are produced are, are unbelievable. They're, they come from a contributor team from our industry based all over North America that are writing about the best practices of their business. And, and this is something that is really, really special. Recently, we also launched audio articles. So if you download the Firetime Magazine app, you'll have a link to listen to these articles if you'd prefer to do that instead of reading them. To take advantage of this, you can go to thefiretimemagazine.com and click the appropriate link to listen to or read the latest issue. That's thefiretimemagazine.com. So we talked about simplify, we talked about focus, okay? So we've, we've broken the problem down to the highest impact areas. We have focused on the ones that we believe are going to be most impactful first, and now we go to execute. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, the, it's the one piece of the puzzle that I think seems most obvious when I talk about it, but it's also the one that creates... Uh, most failure. I think having a plan and building a plan is the easy part. The execution of the plan is where often where things fall down. And there's a couple of reasons for that, in my opinion. Um, the difference between winning and losing is scoring the goal. And so the analogy I often use on uh, from a football perspective is, you know, in a game, you might have seven or eight possessions. If every down, every possession, you end up you know, inches from the goal line and never punch it through, you've scored zero points, despite the fact that you've racked up a lot of yards and probably had a really, what felt like a successful offensive day. Getting close is not success as we measure business. And so you have to actually punch the ball across the goal line and it becomes really, really important to execute. And it's the difference between people who have been successful and people who are struggling to be successful. They might have been able to simplify their list. They might have been able to focus. But for whatever reason, they're not successful in getting that task complete. And again, we can measure completeness of the task in a variety of ways. It doesn't always have to be to the nth degree. But there is a point in time where we can check the box or cross it off our list and move on to something else. And so the execution for me has been the biggest difference in my career, Tim. And it's been the biggest difference in the careers of the people that I've seen be successful or not, whether they were peers or competitors. Um, 
There's been countless examples of really cool products that make it to HPV. They don't always end up being successful. And certainly we've had our share of those at, uh, at Dimplex as well, where there's great ideas. We get really focused on what we're doing. We think we have a great solution. And then something happens in execution. And you end up actually in a worse spot by not executing than if you hadn't started in the, in the first place because you've eaten up an amount of resources and time and effort all for getting it 95% of the way there. And so execution for me is the one that I find the, I spend the most time on with the team. Yeah. What has to be true? What would have to be true for you to execute this at a really high level? Because you're part of our organization because I believe in you, because I trust you, because I think you're really, really good at what you do. And I'm going to hold you to a really high level of expectation because I believe you can do it. And then the job is to go and do it. And I find while it feels really obvious to your listeners, probably that execution is the difference between winning and losing. I'm sure we can all think of examples where something that should have been executed and we had a good plan for whatever reason just went off the rails. And at that point, you can't accept that that was success. Yeah, man, that's so good. One thing I, I think about a lot, because I'm thinking about like as me and Grant going to work with different hearth retailers, execution is really a major part of it. There's a lot of business owners that they, you know, they've read the best books out there, right? They've read Jim Collins or, you know, Dave Ramsey or, or whoever it is. And it's not a problem of knowledge. It's a problem of execution. And, and again, like it, it, it leads to it, right? We need to, we need to simplify. We need to focus on the things that matter, but then we got to go do it. And for some people, it's like, they want to just keep aiming, 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 and never fire. And I, I, I when I, when I think about like what it is that the most successful companies do, it's that they execute and, 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 and strategy is important, but I, I feel like strategy is like 2% of it. Like we got to make sure we're going in the right direction, but like when we know that we're pointed in the right direction, forward movement helps us. And as we start to, to move forward, we start to gain momentum and it's, it's a lot easier. It's like the whole thing, like you can't steer a parked car, you know, like the car's got to be, car's got to be moving. And I might be, you know, as long as I'm headed in the right direction, I, there's a lot of, of leeway that I have to get there. But once, once you've taken the time to simplify and focus and, and know your strategy, know the direction, once you've done that, you, you got to stop because it's time to execute. You know, we, we've drawn the play up, you know, I'm thinking about like the Seattle Seahawks. I was, I was in Seattle last week for a Seahawks game you know, they draw the play up, but, but they don't keep drawing it up. Like they execute it and then it either works or it doesn't. They draw the next play up and they execute. I, I think execution is extremely important and it's hard because execution just, it just sucks. It's boring. It is, it's, it's difficult. Uh, and this is whether you are like the, the person on the front lines or whether you're all the way up to the leader, manager, CEO, execution is boring and it's difficult, but it's what you said is that ruthless consistency that we're just going to do it again and again and again. Yeah. I, I think, I think the, the, uh, the one thing that I don't like about my football analogy is that we get to stop between plays and we get to think about it and we get to call a new play. And I think the interesting part about life is you don't get to do it over and you don't get to really stop. We can pause. We can take a time off on the side, but it's a living, breathing thing. And I think strategy has to be living and breathing. It can't be something we do once a year. I accept what you're saying. We, we build the strategy, then we move to execute the strategy. But the execution of that strategy is something that is living and breathing with us. And we have to build flexibility into that. Yeah, it'll, it'll, inform, it'll inform the strategy right. as you execute. Yeah, and I think we have to be flexible um, to do that. There's a, there's a, a, a TV show my kids watch called The Flash. Um, and I'm not a big superhero guy, but there's a character there that said something that I really liked from a, a leadership perspective. He says, you make the plan, execute the plan, expect the plan to go off the rails, throw away the plan, follow my lead, you'll be fine. And he says it in context of you know being in a, in a place of danger. But it resonated with me from a business perspective. I made the kids you know, go back and say, can you guys play that again? They're like, dad, what's the big deal? 
And I was like, I, I got to hear that again. That sounded really good. And the point there is, yeah, it's really important to simplify. It's really important to focus and it's really important to execute, but you must expect that the execution is not going to go exactly the way the plan was laid out. Yeah. And so just expect it to go off the rails. And when something comes at you, that's a slightly different variable, you'll be prepared. And your, your comment, uh, Tim, that said, look, we're broadly going in this direction is an acknowledgement that we can't be that precise. We're not entirely sure how it's going to go. We can't plan it 100%, but we know broadly what our end goal is. And we will be flexible enough in the plan that as we're executing, we will be able to react to new inputs, new variables that will allow us to stay on course and get where we want to go, but acknowledge that how we get there might be a little different. Yeah. What you said about about how the the strategy is fluid makes so much sense because I, I I the the execution is so important because it it is as you execute that you learn things that you never you never would have learned if you were if you were simply in that simplify and and focus part the execution informs everything like it informs best practice which might change your strategy it might it might change like oh man like you know we we need to go back to the drawing board on this we need to calibrate. Um, I think, I think that's excellent. And for people listening in, in whatever space you're in, whether you work for a distributor manufacturer or a retailer, you know, I would just say like, continue to dig your feet into the execution because that's where, that's where professionals are revealed. I think about that quote from, um, it's from like an early Apple executive and he said something to the effect of real artists ship, they ship the work. Real artists do that and amateurs don't. Amateurs are not able to execute. They don't finish on time. And that goes to, you have to be okay with things not being perfect, but it's it's the execution that's that's everything. And that's the burden that I feel weighing over me, whether it's with the podcast or with the magazine or Wi-Fi or, or other things that I do is the the burden for me is, am I being faithful to execute every single day? Because that's what's going to make the difference. Yeah, I agree. Look, we learn by doing. Uh, the only way I know how to ride a bike is I fell off my bike a few times and I had to try, I had to start, I had a strategy and you have to, you have to accept that you will be a better bike rider by riding your bike. And it's the only way to learn. You can watch all the YouTube videos you want, read all the <laughs> books you want until you're standing in front of the customer and you have the experience of what it's like to be in front of the customer. It's really hard to, to know how you're going to react. And it's the reason we train. It's the reason we practice. And so I would encourage everybody, just keep doing it. And you will find that over time, you refine your thoughts, you refine your pitch, you refine your position. You're going to make mistakes. And if you don't, you probably weren't trying hard enough. Yeah. So it, we, it's, it's really cool. The execution piece, I agree with you, informs so much of what we're going to do. We all exist as a sum of our experiences. And that's what makes people fun and cool. We've all had slightly different experiences. Uh, we were all born the same way, but by the time we, we finish this life, we've, we are very, very different because of the execution that we've been through. Hmm. Robert, to end this conversation, I want to talk about investment. This is something I, I think that you might've talked about this in an interview that you did with Hearth and Home last year, but you talked about the importance of investing in others and about how early on someone or a few people made an investment in you that you want to pay forward. And I, I'd love to kind of just tee you up and talk about investing in others. Like, why is that something that's important to you? Yeah. Um, look, it's important to me because somebody did for me something that I can never repay. In some ways, it's almost like a parent and a child. You know, my, my parents did a lot for me. There's no way I can repay them, but I can try and take the things that I've learned and pay it forward. So parenting and in business feels really similar to me. Somebody gave me a break. Somebody saw something in me that I probably didn't know was there or certainly didn't recognize. And they nurtured me. And there was a, two or three people that I can think of that took a chance on me. Didn't always work out, but they had some faith in me. And I find it really cool to be able to try and pay it forward to others whether they're in our organization or in our industry, it's really an awesome way to repay the benefits that you know I've been so fortunate to have. Yeah, I, I think that's super important. And uh, in in a similar degree, like when I when I look at the the kind of the key moments that have propelled me into what I'm doing now, 
they almost all of them were situations or, or interactions with people that I didn't see coming and that like weren't because of my own merit. It was exactly what you said of someone seeing something in me that I didn't fully see or taking a chance on me. I think that's terrific. And and we've talked a lot about this in our past conversations, Robert, that like as we invest in other people and and even as we try to invest into our industry and grow it, there is a there has been traditionally like a real tight fisted mentality in our industry about keeping all my secrets, you know, locked up and and only for me or only for my immediate circle versus being more open-handed with that. I know that you've got some real strong opinions on openness and also just on on investing in others and I'd love to hear you kind of end the conversation with that. Sure. So, look, I think the reality is going back to the fact that I'm not usually the smartest guy in the room. Um I have found that the best way for me to learn and to try and share my experiences with others is just by putting some of that information out there. And so look, LinkedIn has been a really easy way for me to do that. For those of you that want to creep me on LinkedIn, you'll see a lot of what I think from a leadership perspective and open source uh, paying forward opportunities. But the truth is, you know, simplify, focus and execute doesn't belong to me. I don't own it. And, And not from a trademark perspective, but it's not really a concept that I invented. Um, There isn't any intellectual property around it. It's an approach to problem solving. And we each have our own. And I think that by sharing those things, you know, we can be better off. And there's been some people in the industry that I've been fortunate enough to interact with where we can share some of those perspectives. And oftentimes, you know, when I hear from someone, you know, you and I, Tim, have had some really good conversations. And whether I agree or disagree isn't really the point. It's that it's allowed me to reflect on what I think. And hopefully, you know, when I share simplify, focus and execute with you, something that I did fairly innocently, frankly, when we started talking, you know, it might have an impact on how you think and how you can work with some of your customers and clients and push things through the uh, through the magazine, I think is really cool. And I continue to adopt new ideas and different ideas that I learn from other people. And so it would feel wrong to me to, you know, put those in a little box and keep them from other people. Um, I was given them freely. I think I should pass them on freely. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. You know, I offline, we were just chatting right before we hit record and, and you said something to the effect of like, as I invest in other people, I I'm paying it forward. And, and, and like you said, like I, I got this freely, I'm giving it away freely, but there, there is kind of a superpower in this. And you said basically like for all that I give away, I get back about 20% as well. Like it's not, it's not, I mean, like it's, it is the right thing to do, but it's, it's, it's not like there's not a return on that investment. I I found the same thing. Like as you give that away, like, like, yeah, that, that return on investment is real, whether it's a new perspective or whether it's you thinking about things from a different way or being challenged and, and changing your mind or being challenged and not changing your mind, but being stronger of your opinion than you would have been otherwise. You don't get that unless you make that investment of of putting something out there. Yeah, absolutely. And look, uh, uh, let's let's be fair. It is an investment, right? We we are taking time out of our schedule to do something um, that makes us feel good, right? So I feel good when I can share some of this stuff, and so that is part of the reward. But the reason to do it is to try and help others. The unexpected part for me is when I leave a conversation or I jump in the car to drive back from a meeting with you know some young entrepreneurs I'm mentoring. I'm always struck by how energized I feel and how much smarter I feel because I was able to learn something through that conversation, either because of the way I was positioning my own opinion to someone or because of the way they reacted to something I said or the way they challenged me. And so it's really cool to be able to see young people or others in our organization or industry rise up because we had a little bit of influence on them. But it's also really cool to see how often we take something from them and put it back into our business or into our uh, into our our day to day or share with our family. There's often times where I'll come back, you know, the next day having dinner uh, with my my young teenage kids and saying, hey, I met this really cool person yesterday and this is what they're working on and this is how they're doing it. And watching their reaction is pretty cool. So there's this power of the network where, you know, I'm giving my energy into that network. But that network has a a really cool way of giving things back as well. Yeah. 
Robert, this has been an awesome conversation and I have a feeling you're going to have some folks creeping you on LinkedIn now. Thanks a ton for being part of it. We really appreciate it. Yeah, that's great. Looking forward to uh, continuing to be an active part uh, of the community here. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Robert Bartucci. I thought it was absolutely incredible. And I'm just telling you that whenever I get to spend time around this guy, I walk away better. And there's a few things that I want to hit on as we close out this conversation. First off, the idea of simplify, focus, and execute. I love that framework for problem solving. And many of us might do parts of this intuitively. And and that's actually some feedback that I've gotten as people listen to the podcast. Sometimes they say it affirms things like I've, I've done this for years and I either haven't really thought about it or known why I do it. But, but now that I know I can really press into it. And I think it's the same thing with this framework. When you look at a problem, just like that story about me being literally afraid of a math problem, right? Like, so simplify it down to the most basic things. I feel like that is, that's kind of my, my job is to look at, you know, the complexity of our industry, with whether it's with Wi-Fi or the software or doing like a, a consulting engagement to help a company. It's looking at a complex problem and breaking it down to, okay, what are the simple things we can do? And and oftentimes, just like Robert was saying, as we as we simplify it, we'll actually start to see what the high impact parts of of you know, the the problem are that if we can really solve these, everything else will kind of take care of itself. And we move on to the next phase where we focus. As I work with retailers, this is, I mean, single-handedly the biggest problem that that many folks have is they're good people, but they're being pulled in so many different directions that they can't focus on the right things. And I mean, just like we talked about, I, I think that it is worth letting things burn that are less important and less impactful than the things that will really move the needle. I think about the CEO of Keller Williams and he, and he says that if you're going to be an effective leader, you've got to be comfortable not getting everything done and not making everybody happy because you have to let things burn. If you want to be caught up, you're not going to be a good leader. You're not going to be effective. And I think that there's some wisdom there because there's always things competing for our interest, but focusing on what matters will get us through. And that leads us right into execution. Execution is after we've calibrated, we know this is the direction, we've broken the problem down, we've focused on these main objectives, these two, three things to to get us towards our goal. Now we execute. Now we have to do it. And execution, I mean, you know, that that's that's where the action is. That's where the money is. It's in executing. We can drop the right play all that we want. I, I even think sometimes as, as you know, we read books and we invest in content to help us, we hire coaches. If we fail on execution, we've just, we've wasted everything. It'd be better off if we didn't have that knowledge, if we didn't spend the time reading or listening to those resources, because if we are not going to do anything with it, it's dead and we're worse for it. It's just clogging up brain space. But for those of us who can execute even just in little bits, bit by bit by bit, day by day by day, I mean, you can move mountains doing that. And that framework of simplify, focus, execute, I I find that just incredibly powerful. And I hope that you can apply it in your different situations. You know, when he talked about leadership and, and Robert said that his job is to add speed and remove barriers, right? He's aware of his title. With that title, there there comes clout and there comes authority with that. And it's it's some people would just rest in that. I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm the CEO, I'm the president, I'm the owner of the company, whatever it is. But instead, you should use that strategically. What does that allow me to do? Because as a leader, like really the only value I can add is adding speed and, and removing barriers. Because if you think about it, what's a leader do? Well, your job is to, you know, rem- solve problems for people, right? So if you, if you look at something and you say, oh, you know, this is really good. But if I personally jump in and help with this, we can rapidly increase the speed of it or you know, man, this person is an A player. They're running into this obstacle and and it's some red tape they can't get past. As the leader, I can cut through that red tape and allow them to move, right? As a leader, are you adding speed and removing barriers or are you a bureaucrat or are you someone who clogs the process up? I've seen this with, with owners of companies sometimes who can't get out of their own way, whether it's that they can't empower people or they they always have to be the one to do everything and they're, they're people you know, become complacent or, or leave because of it. As a leader, we want to we want to focus on the right things and and make sure that we're removing those barriers. I, I love the I, you know one of the final things that we talked about is that idea of of ruthless consistency. 
that as we as we execute over and over and over again with ruthless consistency, that's the way that we win. There's that famous quote by one of the one of the founders of of Apple with Steve Jobs, and he said, "Artists ship. An amateur doesn't ship the work. An artist does. With ruthless consistency, I just I, I ship it again and again and again. It may not be perfect. It it may not it may not be 100 right. It might be able to be better, but I'm shipping it because this is the deadline. I put in the work. I did it, and then I'm going to move on to the next one and do it again and again and again. That's been one of the things that we've been trying to live by with." you know, the, the podcast, the magazine and everything is always press forward. Jim Collins calls it the 20 mile March. We've talked about that a lot this season. What's my 20 mile March today? I don't need to March 30, but I'm not going to March 15. I'm going to March 20. What is that today with ruthless consistency? Now, as you've listened to this podcast, the last thing that I want to close us out with is actually a request from Robert himself. As we talked offline after we got done recording, he mentioned just the heart that he has for young entrepreneurs. And so if you're listening to this episode and want to take advantage of his counsel for your next move or your career or anything like that, I'm going to give you right now his email address and his LinkedIn handle, and I would highly recommend that you take advantage of this. Now, you can send him an email. I'm going to spell it for you. His email address is robert.bartucci at glendimplexamericas.com. That's R-O-B-E-R-T dot B-A-R-T-U-C-C-I at G-L-E-N-D-I-M-P-L-E-X-A-M-E-R-I-C-A-S dot com. That might win the award for the longest email address ever. And Robert's LinkedIn handle is his name, Robert Bartucci. Now, as you've listened to this podcast this season, or maybe today's the first episode, if it in some way, shape, or form has been a blessing to you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website patreon.com slash itsfiretime. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash itsfiretime. And I'll just tell you, it means the world to those of you who are contributing to support this podcast. We don't take it lightly. And our goal is that the content of the podcast keeps getting better and better as we are able to outsource more of the administrative work and focus on delivering the best episodes that will move the needle for you. As, as we close this out today, I, I want to leave you with a just a, a parting thought and Robert said it pretty early on, and, and he said this in the episode, but honestly, like as, as, as I've worked with Robert on, on some things in the past, I've, I've literally heard him say this before as we've worked. He said, I don't always have to have great ideas. I just have to be on the lookout for them. What's that look like for you? If you're the smartest person in your company, I believe that that's a problem. Because your company doesn't need you to be the smartest person. You can go hire someone that's smarter than you. You need to know what you're after and be able to add speed and remove barriers with other people to help get there. I hope you have an amazing rest of the week. We'll see you again very soon. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. All in to buy.